This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Guys, we are, we are just a, we're just a family of Christ followers. We love God, and because we love God, we love people. And we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus, because that's what Jesus does. Uh, we gather together in small groups throughout the week, but we still love coming together to Sunday, on Sunday and worshiping the Lord corporately. Guys, there's nothing like gathering together with the family of God. There's no greater place to, to gather together, to, to, to grow and to encourage and to be strengthened than gathering together with family God. Guys, as, as a church, Church of the Harvest, we're just a small expression of the body of Christ. And the vision of Harvest, you're part of the Harvest family, say it with us. What is the vision? To make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and outreach. And guys, we're looking, people are getting touched with the love of God. People are coming to Christ, and that's the metric that we use to know whether or not we're fulfilling this vision or not. Because disciples, somebody say, that's me. Hopefully you're a disciple. Disciples reproduce disciples. And so guys, that's what we, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to see in the earth today. We are currently discussing our identity and the responsibility of the people of God in the earth today. I'm talking about people who have repented, they've turned from their old life, they've become a new creation, they've surrendered themselves to the lordship of Jesus. And as, as I say every week, guys, the world may be shaking, but here's the reality. If you're a Christ follower, you're not of this world. And you've been given the word of God to live your life according to, and the word of God never changes. And our God that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we don't have to be shaken. We don't have to be moved. We can trust that the Word of God has every answer to every problem, every question, every doubt that you'll ever encounter in your life. The Word of God has that answer. Amen? Y'all believe it? So we don't have to be shaken. Several weeks ago, uh, seven weeks ago, we started a message, a series on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. A line-by-line study of the book of Ephesians. We know that when this starts, Paul is in prison in Rome and the Holy Spirit moves on his heart to write this letter to this church that he helped found, this, this family of Christ followers that he helped establish in the city of Ephesus in Turkey. And we know that he's not addressing problems. We know that uh, it's six chapters long. In the first three chapters, he is, his point is to teach them and to reinforce them who they are in Christ. And guys, this is huge. This is what the body of Christ still needs to hear today. We need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. If we had a true revelation of this, the world would be a different place. And then the last three chapters of this letter that Paul writes, he's writing, it's, it's the practical application of that truth. So, so now we know, you know who you are in Christ, so what does that look like in my everyday life while I'm still here on earth? And guys, how many of you know that's equally important in our lives today that we understand that because we've still got to live in the real world, right? We've got to live in this natural world, even though we're not of it. So Paul, we know, was writing this letter to the saints. Who are the saints? The saints are the, the holy ones, those who are redeemed, set apart, sanctified through the work of Jesus, through, through their surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And it says not just any saints, but it says the saints who were faithful in Christ, those that were all in, devoted their life to Christ. And so we, we started in chapter one, talked about how before the foundations of the earth, the Father arranged that all spiritual blessing be yours and be mine because of your, or through Jesus. And because of Jesus, we have forgiveness and we have redemption and we have wisdom and prudence, good sense, all these different things that we talked about. And it all comes according to his riches of grace. 
And at the end of chapter 1, we know that Paul prays for the saints. He prays that, that their eyes, really that the, their, their mind would be open to three things. He said the hope of our calling, the riches of our inheritance, and understanding the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in us as Christ followers. So we talked about how chapter 1 was all about the Father's plan to redeem mankind. Remembering, again, the Father is the author of the plan, right? The Son, God the Son, Jesus, executed the plan, and God the Holy Spirit reveals the plan to mankind. Last week we started chapter 2. Uh, we talked about how God originally, as he looked through time from the foundation of the earth, he originally sees us, he sees us dead in our trespasses and sins, right? How many of you remember being dead in your trespasses and sins that God saved you from? I'm glad none of you. Awesome. But because he could see us dead in our trespasses and sin, he knew exactly what we needed to be redeemed from those. And so what did he do? He sent Jesus. Guys, without Jesus, we were dead, we were alone, we were, we were under Satan's system, we were subject to our flesh, we were subject to the unrenewed mind, but then we encounter the love of God, God who is rich in mercy. And so he looks through time, he sees us dead in our trespasses, he sends Jesus, Jesus who becomes man, because only man could redeem man, right? A man had to redeem man. So Jesus lives a sinful life, he goes to the cross, he becomes sin, he takes our penalty. But because he was sinless, the Father could legally raise him from the dead, right? And that changed everything. And because of this, we repent and we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. We're made alive in him. We're raised with him. We're seated in heavenly places with him. How many of you are glad for that? Amen. We're saved by his grace through the faith he has given us. We talked about that last week. Through mercy, God reached out to us in mercy, praise God. And how do we reach back out to him? We reach back out to him through faith, right? So, continuing in chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to continue in verse 11 in just a moment. Um, but in, as we continue in chapter 2, Paul takes a step, a step further. And he begins, what he does where we left off last week, he begins to elaborate on the barriers that existed between us and God that were removed at the work of the cross. How many of you know there, there, there were a lot of barriers between us and God? But God. But Jesus. So obviously, when we think of the barrier between us and God, the first thing we think of is, is sin. And, and that is very true. Um, but guys, there were a lot of other barriers as well. And you know, one of the barriers... One of the barriers is, was prejudice. Now, we think of prejudice, and we immediately think of, 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 of like racial prejudice. And we, we think that's an American thing. How many of you know it's not an American thing? Prejudice has existed in the earth since the very beginning. Between man and woman, certainly between races, between young and old, between nations, there's always been this prejudice. It's always been here, and it will be here until Jesus returns because we live in a fallen world, Right? And here's the thing, since the work of the cross, there has been only ever been one place of true equality. That's been in the kingdom of God, those who are in Jesus through the new birth. We, how many of you know that we all stand on equal footing before God? 
And I'll show you real quick, Galatians 3.28, and you'll see where I'm going with this in just a second. Uh, by the way, you can read in your Bible, like I say, we're going to mainly be in Ephesians. I'm going to give you a couple other verses. If you want to follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that. The notes are already loaded. You can hit more and hit events, and you can see those and follow right along there. But y'all know this, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. I want to read it from the English Standard Version. It says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. Now, we know that those things all exist in the natural. He's not talking about the natural, right? Talk about our spiritual standing before God. There is not Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring according to, heirs according to promise. Guys, it's the Holy Spirit that unites us all in God's love. And we, we all have one father and a father who loved us. He loved us, loves us all the same, and he gives, us love, gives his love to us all the same. So looking there at Ephesians verse 11, you'll kind of see where I'm going here. In verse 11, continuing where we left off last week, it says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, what's a Gentile? It's a non-Jew, right? Anybody who's not a Jew? Do we have any Gentiles in the room? Okay. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, by what is called the, the, called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. Guys, that's just a, I, I still can't read it right. It's a tongue twister. Uh, you, we, we need to break that down a little further. So what I'm going to do, I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation to give you a little bit different look at it. The New Living says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Guys, this shows us that races, divisions occur. Divisions occur not only in the flesh, but also in the spirit. He said here, you were Gentiles in the flesh. He also talks about the Jews who were calling themselves, they were calling themselves the circumcision. What a name. The circumcision. And they were calling everybody else the uncircumcision. They were dividing themselves from, from, everybody, from everybody else. In Philippians, he tells us that true circumcision is being born again. What Paul calls in Philippians, he calls the circumcision of the flesh, right? Or I'm sorry, circumcision of the heart. I'm sorry, is what I mean. Circumcision of the heart. And, and so there's prejudice here, though. When you look at it, the Jews are looking at people different from them, and they're applying a label to them. Do we see that in the earth today? Yes, we've seen it from the very beginning right? And in doing so, really what's happened is the Jews have missed the whole point. They're taking pride in this, in, in this case in circumcision, physical, physical circumcision, thinking that it made them acceptable and in right standing before God. And in reality, there was more to it. In reality, it wasn't designed to make them acceptable before God. It was designed to be a reminder of God's plan. And they were set apart because of who they belonged to, because of who they followed. It was performed, we know that the circumcision was performed by parents when a boy was eight days old to remind them, to remind the parents that this child belonged to the Lord, belonged to God, to remind them of God's plan, to remind the child as he grew up of God's plan and that he was set apart from the rest of the people of earth that did not serve God. That they weren't meant to be part of this fallen world, of the Satan system. So really, I look at it this way, guys. Really, the circumcision we see in the Old Testament was similar to our water baptism 
today. Because does God, did God command them to be circumcised? Yes. Does God command us to be water baptized? Yes, he does. Do either save you? Neither are your salvation. We're commanded by God to be baptized today. They were commanded by God to be circumcised, but it wasn't what saved them. Anyhow, the prejudice and racial barriers were removed at the cross by the blood of Jesus. So he says, Gentiles, don't forget that you were once outsiders. You were called, you, you were called names because you weren't born of the Jews. You, you didn't follow Jewish law. And then verse 12, he says that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Guys, being born again, there were all these barriers between man and God. Before being born again, there's all these barriers between Jew and Gentile. Everything changes at the cross. We were lost. We were without hope. Everything was against us. And it says that we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, what was Israel? We could argue that it was national boundaries of a nation, but not in reality, guys. God, uh, Israel was God's chosen people. Israel, they were the ones that followed the one true God. Being a descendant of Abraham did not, is not what made them Israel. That's not what he's talking about here. It was faith in the one true God that made them Israel. Because here's what we know. We know that there were, there were outsiders. There were foreigners that joined the nation of Israel, Israel as well. There are plenty of people out there. How many of you know there are plenty of people out there that are born Jewish, but they're Jewish in name only, right? It's not what we're talking about right here. But, after, but when we received Christ, we weren't in covenant with God, right? We weren't part of the family of God. But once you're born again, once you truly surrender, you repent, you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, you become who Paul is writing to. You get that label of faithful saint. And it says, too, it, with that verse, if you look at it, it says that we were strangers from the covenants of promise before receiving Christ. Now, I don't know if you guys have really ever looked at this, but there, are, there were four covenants that were given to Israel, God's people. Remember, it's people whose faith is in God. These four covenants will be fulfilled fully when Jesus comes back to the earth to establish his millennial reign. But let me give you these real quick. I'll put them on the screen. They're in your notes. The first covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. And this refers to Jesus as the seed of Abraham, as, as his offspring. His natural, Abraham's natural offspring would be the nation of Israel. But his spiritual seed would be all those who put their faith in Jesus. Today, who is the seed of Abraham? The church is, guys. Who in here is a follower of Christ? You are the seed of Abraham. The second covenant that was given to Israel is the Palestinian covenant. And this promise was to Abraham also. And it was, it was, it was regarding the entire land that would one day belong to the Jews, to the Jewish nation, to those whose faith was in the one true God. And it's not just people who were, like to say, they were born Jews, but it was also that promise is to those who were born again. In, uh, by, in Christ by the coming of Jesus. So you got the Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, third covenant was the Davidic covenant. And this is found in 2 Samuel where God promises David that his heir, one of his heirs would reign 
would sit on the throne of Israel forever. You guys remember that? So for this to happen, this person would obviously have to be a man, and he'd obviously have to be the offspring of David, right? But if he's going to sit on the throne forever, he's obviously more than a man, right? And obviously we're talking about Jesus, son of David, fully man, fully God. And so this promise was given not just to the physical nation of Israel, but to all the children of God who have been born again. Um, And then the last covenant is the new covenant. And Jeremiah is the one who speaks of this first, but he talks about how God would remove the hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, right? And so these covenants are given. So when we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, and it says we were strangers from the covenant of promise, this means we were, we were strangers from the covenant of promise when we were without Christ, That means those of us who are now in Christ are not strangers from the covenant of promise, right? It's good news. We are part of these covenants. Uh, Galatians 3 verse 29 says, If you are Christ's, if you're born again, if you've surrendered to Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed according to the promise. You know what the word promise, know how else that can be translated? Covenant. The covenants. We are part of the Abrahamic covenant because we were born again in Christ into the family of God that was promised to Abraham. We're part of the Palestinian covenant because the Bible says that you will rule and reign with him, with our king, Jesus, who will sit on the throne of, in Jerusalem. We're part of the Davidic covenant because Jesus will rule and reign on that throne as the offspring of David. And we're part of the new covenant because when we gave our life to Christ, When we truly repented and surrendered to him, our heart of stone was replaced with a heart of flesh and we became a new creation in him. This is great news, guys. I'm a lot more excited about it than you guys are. You're part of the new covenant because your heart was changed and you are not a stranger from the covenant of promise. So verse 12 ends by telling us, if we go back to um, Ephesians 2 verse 12, uh, it ends by telling us that before Christ, we were without hope and without God in the world. But now, guys, with Jesus in our hearts, we have hope. We've talked about hope quite a bit in the book of Ephesians. Remember how we talked about, uh, about knowing the hope of our calling? Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in his return. We have a future and a hope that the unbeliever in this world does not have, Right? No matter what happens in the earth, guys, we know the final outcome. No matter what happens. Guess what? You're on the right team. You win. If you're following Jesus, we know the outcome. We win. The unbeliever has no hope. All that lies ahead for the unbeliever is an eternity separated from God. Um, and the last thing it says there in verse 12 is that you, we were without God in the world. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We live in two kingdoms, right? Uh, the, the natural world and the spiritual world. We know that God will be with us in eternity, but how many of you are thankful that God is with us while we're in the earth? <laughs> this is when we really need him, right? I mean, we're going to need him in eternity too. But I mean, how many of you need Jesus today? I mean, my goodness, we need God with us. He's here. He's with us. And he is present to lead us and to guide us through trials and circumstances in this life, through the traps and the snares of the enemy. He is there. He's here. We're not without hope of God in the world. We're not without God in the world. 
That's why the Bible said, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's why the Bible says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, right? It's not talking about eternity. It means right now, right now. And so this is where we were. We were outsiders, aliens, strangers from the covenant of promise, from the covenants of promise, without hope of God in this life or in eternity. We get to the same spot we got to last week, though. But God. Look at the next verse, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now because of Jesus, because of your your repentance and your surrender to the lordship of Jesus, that great gulf that separated us from the Father has been bridged. Uh, there was a, when I was a student at Christ for the Nations, we had a, there was a prayer room off the stage in the Institute building, and there was a painting in there that I always loved to see, and I'll show it to you real quick. I used to look at this, and I always thought that was the greatest illustration of the great gulf being bridged between us and God. And, you know, I think about that, guys. God, Jesus came, and he effectively took care of what it was separating us from the Father. We, 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 just, we just have to choose him. People look today and go, well, I, I don't think that's fair that, that Jesus is the only way. I don't want to go the way of the cross. Well, I'm going to go the way of the cross. God bless you, <laughs> you know, because God made a way. I'm not looking for another way. I, I see one right in front of me that has been laid out right before my feet. I'm, I'm, I'm going to run right on a cross, okay? Jesus is the way. He is the only way. And that is not bad news. That is the best news the world has ever heard. There is a way, and it is called the way of the cross through Jesus, right? Look what Job says. I I, I want to show you this real quick. Job says, he's crying out. He says, yes, I know all this is true in principle, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? And if you jump on to verse 32, he says, God is not mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. Guys, Job understood the problem, the problem in his relationship with the Father, was that God was not a man like him. God is so much higher, amen? So what does Job do? He longs for a mediator who could bridge the gap and bring him together with the Father. And guys, that's exactly what we have in the person of Jesus. In God the Son, fully man, fully God. His work at the cross brought us together with the Father. And guys, Jesus did all the work. He did it all. All all that's required of us is to surrender and receive it. I give up. I'm done trying to do my own thing. Jesus, I receive you. I'm going the way of the cross. And again, like we talked about last week, we get no glory in this because he did it all. We can't even take credit for the faith we had in receiving him. Jesus executed the Father's plan. He receives all the glory, honor, and praise. So verse 13 was saying, so even though you were once far off from God, you were brought near by the blood. And verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace, who has made, it, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Guys, it says that Jesus is our peace. 
This is talking about reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, people, it amazes me because a lot of people think because they still have struggles in the flesh that they must not be a new creation. Well, well, all this old stuff in my life doesn't all seem passed away. Guys, that's, that's, not, what it's, that's not what it's talking about. Uh, it, it's talking about our old pitiful position before God, before Jesus. That's what it's talking about here. We had no life. We were spiritually dead. We were part of Satan's kingdom. We were being led by the flesh and by the unrenewed mind. But after the new birth... After the new creation, we get a new position. Our position changes. Now we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We were once of the kingdom of darkness. We're now of the kingdom of light. We were once identified in Adam. We're now identified in Jesus, the second Adam. Make sense? Look at, um, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. I just mentioned it. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says, And all this is a gift from God who brought us back together through Christ, and God gave us this task of reconciling people to him. Yeah, that's our mission, the Great Commission. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Somebody should shout over that. And gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Guys, it says, he not only reconciled us, he did the work of reconciliation for the entire world, for every person. The barrier, guys, listen to me. The barrier between man and God is no longer a problem. It's just not a problem. I, I would go so far as to say this, <laughs> and hear me out, don't throw any stones. But there's no sin barrier. Let me show you. I was thinking about this. Say you had to get somewhere to survive. Say you had to cross a great river, and that river was raging, and it was dangerous. There was no way you could build a raft to get across. Is that river a problem? Absolutely. You're going to die on this side if you don't get over there, but it, it, it's a problem. But somebody comes along. And they build you a bridge. Is the river a problem anymore? Not at all. Does it matter how dangerous or raging that river is? Doesn't matter in the slightest. Do you have to choose to cross the bridge? Can you choose not to and to die on this side? Absolutely you can. The river's not a problem. The sin's not a problem. You've been given a pathway right across it. But you got to choose to go the way of the cross and to walk across it. Amen? The river's not the issue. The sin is not the issue anymore. Jesus went to the cross and was judged for the sins of mankind once and for all. Sin was judged on the cross. Sin is no longer the reason that man is separated from God. The issue for salvation and salvation, the issue is no longer sin. The issue is Jesus. That's why when we go to lead somebody to Christ, we don't walk up to them and say, what are you going to do about all that sin in your life? No, we say, what are you going to do with Jesus? 
Jesus did his part. And it is now 1,000% our move. And FYI, you can't do anything about your sin except receive the one who's already paid for it. Even at the great white throne judgment, sin will not be the issue. The issue will be Jesus. The spotlight is not on sin. The spotlight is on Jesus. It's not what are you going to do about the sin. It's what are you going to do, Jesus. Guys, no, no, I'm not given a license of sin. We still suffer the consequences of our sin, even in this life. Amen? Right? But just the point being, sin is not the issue anymore that separates us from God. It's whether or not. It's what we do with Jesus. Um, remember Luke when Jesus was born what did the angels say peace on earth goodwill toward men right how many of you know it's widely believed that that's not 100% correct in that translation it's actually in the King James if you look at almost any other translation if you go back to the Greek and you look at the words uh, they believe a couple of words may have actually been left out right there almost every other translation of the Bible words it just a little differently and it says peace on earth goodwill toward those with whom he is pleased who is the father pleased with he's pleased with those who receive the son Those who receive Jesus, whom he sent. He is at peace with those who have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. And this peace is the message of the gospel. This is the good news, right? The fact that the barrier of sin is no longer an obstacle. And this is what we are left on earth to proclaim. The good news. That's why we're called peacemakers. We bring peace to lost mankind. Looking back at verse 14 for a second, it says, He himself is our peace who has made both one. This was referring to God and man. Even then, it was even Jew and Gentile made them one in the family of God. The barriers that once existed were eliminated and we were made one in Christ. Everybody stood on equal footing before the Father from that day onward. Through the death of Jesus, the wall of separation was broken down. Verse 15, a few more verses. Verse 15 says, having abolished, this is Jesus, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one man from the two, thus making peace. Guys, I love that, that it says abolished. Jesus abolished the barrier of enmity. Enmity just, it basically means hostility or aminosity animosity. The word abolish, guys, the word abolish here does not mean he made a bridge over. It means he blew it up. He destroyed it. It was gone. The enmity between man and God. The hostility, the animosity. He totally obliterated it. He destroyed, he destroyed our obligation to the commandments to the law, to be in right standing before God, the contained in the ordinances, like it says, Jesus fulfilled it. Colossians 2.14 from the New American Standard, it says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he, was take, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Guys, Jesus removed the curse of the law. How many of you guys know, though, that 
He removed the curse of the law, but how many of you know the blessings of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament, are still intact and are still ours in him? The blessings of Abraham are ours through faith in Jesus. But the curse, the curse of the law is removed. Now, in Matthew, Jesus said, he said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Y'all remember that? How do you know Jesus could not destroy the law? He could, however, destroy its power over us, and he could fulfill it, which is exactly what he did. I love an example I read on this. How many of you know that summer does not destroy springtime? Summer is the fulfillment of the spring. Manhood, womanhood does not destroy childhood. It's the fulfillment of it, right? You were, once you're a man though, once you're a woman, you shouldn't go back to your childish ways again. Doesn't the Bible say that? In the same way. If you are a Christ follower, if you're a new creation living in the dispensation of grace, then we don't go back and try to live under the law again. God's purpose in removing the barriers is to make us one. That's why we are the body of Christ. I always say we're a body of believers. We're the body of Christ. Therefore, through faith, we are part of one body, one church, and in the natural, as the body of Christ, we should all be at peace with one another, right? Have you know the body of Christ could use a little more peace right now between its members? Because of the work of Jesus, believers can be Jew or Gentile. They can be red and yellow, black and white, right? They're all precious in his sight. Male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. True equality exists only in the kingdom of God. Um, let's move quickly to the last few verses of chapter 2. Verse 16 says, And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The cross was the final fulfillment of the law. Jesus, how many of you know Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial part of the law when he went to the cross, but he was the perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled all the other ordinances of the law by living a perfect life. Walking perfectly before the Father. Guys, I would say that when Jesus hung on that cross in his last moments and he said, it is finished. He wasn't just referring, he wasn't just referring to like the plan of salvation, but to the Mosaic law. The law ended at the cross. A man had fulfilled the law. And everyone born of that man, the one on the cross, everyone born of him would be free. Everybody born of Adam was under a curse, right? Everybody born of the second Adam, Jesus, would be born free, right? Galatians 3 says that the law was given until the seed of Abraham should come. The law was given until the seed of Abraham should come. Guys, that's Jesus. The law of Moses lasted until Jesus. And once on the cross, he removed it by fulfilling it. Next uh, couple verses, um, 
last few, let's see, verse 17, verses 17 and 18. And he, Jesus, came and he preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now he mentions here those who were far off and he mentions those who were near. Now the Jews were considered the ones who were near. They were under the provision of the, of the old covenant and God's favor was certainly upon them. But it was through the Jews that he brought this good news, right? Jesus comes forth. This revelation of the good news was brought to the world through the Jews to the Gentiles, those who were, are referred to here as afar off. But whether, how many of you know that whether somebody is afar off or nearer, that doesn't make you in. That doesn't, that doesn't change your standing before God. The new birth, the resurrection, saved Jew and Gentile the same right? It says we are all the same. We all come the same way by the Spirit to the Father. Verses 19 and 20, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. As Jews and Gentiles were very separate back in that day, but now Jews and Gentiles are citizens of the same kingdom. They stand together on equal footing before God. We are all members of the same family. We all claim the Father as our Father. It says that we have all been built on the same foundation, that God's plan since before the foundation of the earth, his plan executed in the earth through God the Son, and, and, and reinforced through the Old Testament apostles and prophets, it says here. The Old Testament, guys, how many of you know, the Old Testament has as much to say to us today as it does to the Jews. And it says, this foundation that we are built on, says Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And I, I, I don't know how many of you have seen a cornerstone, but I, I, pulled, up a, I pulled up a picture of one last week and, and looked at it. A cornerstone, you guys probably know, a cornerstone, it, 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 brings, it, it joins two walls together. Two, two walls generally at a 90 degree angle. At the bottom of those walls, you have the foundation stones, but at the corner, you have the cornerstone. Both walls meet on that one stone. What's this passage talking about? It's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. Jesus is the chief cornerstone that brings the two covenants together. Um, remember, too, that the work of the cross, back then, the work of the cross went forward. It only went forward. We, we, we think that it only went forward, but in reality, the work of the cross, guys, it was retroactive. It even went backwards. That's why you look at it, you know, the, the Old Testament saints... Guys, they were justified looking forward through time to the work of the cross, to the Messiah. And we, we're justified looking back at the work of Jesus on the cross. Amen? That's why when you look at it, that's why Isaiah, when Isaiah wrote, he said, by his stripes we are healed. That's why Peter said, by his stripes we were healed. Right? Because the work that Jesus did was retroactive through time. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It says the other foundation stones were the apostles and the prophets. Jesus is the chief apostle and the chief prophet. 
And the Bible says in 1 Peter, it says that we, as followers of Christ, we are his living stones. Built on the foundation of the old covenant and the new covenant. Apostles and the prophets, which Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Last two verses, look at it real quick. In chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, it says, In whom... The whole building being fitted together, we're talking about the cornerstone, Jesus, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. As I think about this, and it takes me back to the beginning of the book of Acts, when, remember when it says that the Lord was adding daily to their number those who were being saved, who, those, who were coming, those who were coming to Christ? The church of Jesus was, was growing, was expanding at a rapid rate. New believers were being added every day. And as living stones, it says that we are that temple. We are being fitted together into that temple where God can dwell and where Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Even though we have different personalities and different backgrounds, different walks of life, different perspectives, we are all joined together by the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that back in Solomon's day, the temple was built for a, as a place for, for God to dwell, for his presence, his glory to, uh, to dwell. Well, verse 22, if you look at verse 22, it tells us that we are now the ones being fit together as this dwelling place of God through the Spirit. And, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus was on the cross and he says it is finished, you guys remember what happened in that moment? That veil in the temple was torn in two, Right? It was ripped from top to bottom so that the presence of God could come out of that stone temple into temples of flesh, living stones that have been fitted together to contain the presence and the glory of God. And if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, then that's you. It's exactly who the Holy Spirit is speaking to through the Apostle Paul here. Amen? It's the end of chapter 2. We'll start chapter 3 next week. Best news the world has ever heard, guys. Let's stand up, and we're going to close out. I'm going to invite the, the, the worship team to, to come up, and, and uh, we're going to close out here in just a moment. But, but as you stand up, if you would, just, just take a moment, and I, just, just close your eyes with me here for just a second. Guys, I want you to understand that, again, This is the best news that you could ever receive in your entire life. It's the best news the world has ever heard. God is not angry with mankind. The price has been paid. What we do have to recognize in that, though, is that we now have a responsibility to that. And it is 100% our move. The question is not what you're going to do with your sin. Look, you received Jesus. <laughs> He'll work with you and help you deal with the sin. As you grow and you stretch and you're discipled. But the question right now is, it's not what will you do with the sin in your life. The question is what will you do with Jesus? And I want you to understand that receiving Jesus 
guys, is, is, is not a prayer. We, we've got so many people who, who have sat in a church service and they prayed a prayer. They repeated the words that some man said up front and they think because of that, everything has changed. But they look around and nothing has changed. They're, they're, nothing changed in their heart. They, 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 there was no true sense of repentance within them. They, they, they simply went through the motions. And let me tell you what, What you receive in that moment is nothing more than a <laughs> get out of jail free card from Monopoly. <laughs> because it's, it's not about words that we repeat. It's about a position of our heart. It's about us giving up and realizing that we can't live this life on our own. We can't live this life our way and be successful. We can't do anything about the sin and the shame and the guilt and the things in our lives. But we recognize that it's already been paid for by one who could do something about it, the only one who could do something about it. Guys, becoming a believer is about bowing your knee to Jesus and saying, I give up. I am an utter failure by myself. I am so lost and alone. Everything I do falls apart. It's repenting and saying, Lord, I am sorry. I repent for thinking that I knew better than you. It's asking Jesus, saying, Jesus, I want you from this moment forward to be my Lord and be my Savior. It's making the decision with your heart, saying that, I, Lord, I'm going to live according to your word and your way, not what I think, especially not the way that I feel. Your word's going to be the standard for my life, and I'm going to follow you every day. Guys, that's the way of the cross. And, and, and things change at that point onward. You, yes, if you truly mean it, you become a new creation, but you follow him every day. The Bible says we have to declare Jesus is Lord. Guys, I would argue that's not a one-time thing. Your life should declare that Jesus is Lord. Everything that you do, everything you put your hand to, every person you come in contact with, Jesus it should be coming forth. Your life should be a declaration every day, every moment that Jesus is Lord. If your heart, if your life hasn't changed, since you surrendered to Jesus, since you prayed that prayer, I would implore you today to make a change. It is a matter of heaven and hell. Guys, this world is burning. But he's made a bridge that bridge is the way of the cross. People will say, well, that's not fair. I don't want to go that way. Then that is your choice. Jesus did everything that he could possibly do. And you choose that painting we saw, you choose to stay on the sign that is burning and you choose to die rather than accept the love of Jesus and run the way of the cross. Every head bowed. If that's you and you're here, and I'm not asking you if you've prayed a prayer before. I'm asking you, is your life surrendered to Jesus or not? 
Are you following him or are you not? Is your life a declaration that Jesus is Lord? Are you convicted of sin in your life? Or have you become so numb to it that you just look just like the world? Make a decision. Whether you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time or you're rededicating your life. Guys, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the point is now, what will you do with Jesus? He made a way. He paid for it. Will you receive him? Every head bowed. If that's you and you would say, I need Jesus today, lift your hand high. Who else? Come on, guys. Who would say, I need Jesus in this place? You may be watching online. We got a bunch of people out there watching today. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you are. You can be on the other side of the world watching right now and the Holy Spirit is right there just like he's with us right now. He's right there with you in this exact moment. And he says it's time to make a change. Jesus' arms are open wide and he's ready to receive you. What will you do with Jesus? If you're ready to make a change, we're gonna pray this prayer. Mean it with all your heart. Allow him to take that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Lay down your old life, repent, surrender, and declare Jesus is Lord of your life. You will become a new creation. And you can know when you take your last breath on this earth, you will be be looking into the smiling face of Jesus when you take your next breath. But he doesn't leave you lost and alone on this earth. He's here to walk with you, to lead you, to guide you. He's equipped you for everything you you need in order to accomplish your purpose that you were created for in the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. I thank you for Jesus. Without Jesus, I am so lost and alone. I've tried doing things my own way and I've been an utter failure. I am bankrupt without Jesus. So today I repent. I lay down my old life. I lay down the way that I lived before. I turn from my sin and Jesus, I choose to follow you. I choose to go the way of the cross. Today I declare, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Not just today and not just tomorrow, but every day until I take my last breath on this earth and all the way into eternity, I'll follow you every day, every moment, every second. My life will be a declaration that you are Lord. I'll allow you to lead me. I'll allow you to guide me and I'll follow you every day. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Empower me that I can be everything that you've created me to be. I won't look back. I'm moving forward, step in step with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.